On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are kicking asses and taking names in the triumphant return of Jonathan Tropper's Warrior, picking up pieces of Hugh Laurie in the Beeb's scandal-centric political drama Roadkill, and finally getting to blast into space and talk about Disney's The Right Stuff, which we saw last week. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that is coming to you live and will continue to play out over the next 12 hours as Boyd crawls around on a beach in his pants, Terry drowns in an estuary before being miraculously reborn, and I get down with my bad self at a folk-themed cultist rave. All of which will make absolutely no sense to anyone who didn't watch the live instalment of the third day, but let's crack on regardless. Um, with me here in our studio on the Isle of OC, uh, are my two co-cultists, both of whom, frankly, have abandoned any credibility they might once have enjoyed as TV experts of late, having basically revealed that all they watch when not preparing for this podcast is reality shows about Little Mix. It's Terry White and Boyd Hilton. How are you both? I'm I'm still reeling emotionally from the last instalment of uh, Little Mix. It's just even. it just keeps getting better and better. Have you, are you still watching it? I'm still I watched watching any it. of it yet. Boyd, what is yeah, happening? You, well, you keep wanting to tar me with this. Not that it is a brush tar situation anyway, but you keep wanting to. I haven't watched a little mixed program at all. I haven't had time. So hang on, you know. hang on. I mean, look, there will be something where you've been watching the thing about the pastry well, or there'll be well, some reality thing. Yeah, yeah. Watch the, the Bake Off. Bake Off, yeah, which is, yeah. yeah. Bake Off's best series for years, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Is it? That's great. It, yeah. it really is. Why? Yeah. Well, what's, what makes it better? Explain it to me. Are they using a different type of custard? Yes, and Matt Lucas is the new co-presenter. And I, much as we love Sandy Toxvig, you know, nothing against her, but I think the chemistry between him and um, the other dude, what's his name? I've forgotten his name. Noel Fielding. <laughs> Thank you, Noel Fielding. Um, is seems just sl- just more just more authentic and genuine. And I think just Matt Matt's comedy inventiveness he's bringing to the show um, in various different ways, and it's really. And I, I just think. Um, I think last year it got a bit kind of ultra competitive and Paul Holly was a bit too smug. I mean, he's always smug, but I think he's toned it down a bit this year. So it just feels slightly more keeping, they're keeping it real, slightly less melodramatic. Um, and Matt is brilliant. And don't you think the contest, I think the contestants, yeah, are, contestants also are great. better, just more what Break Off was always meant to yeah. be. Do you know what I mean? They're much more kind of like genuinely average people who just love right. Bacon, live for bacon. Um, it, there's an. I feel like it's got an innocence back that yes, it kind exactly. of lost exactly. a little bit. Um, and you know, I I've been very busy this week, James. And without wanting to jump to what I've been watching, I've I've had very little time in front of the telly, which has has been quite traumatic. And so when I did get two hours free, um, I literally just uh, gorged Little Mix because that's all like my brain can apparently handle at the moment. Little Mix and Bake Off is all I've watched all week. And that Little Mix show on iPlayer, apart from the shows for today's podcast, um, that Little Mix program, oh my God, I can't handle it. Those girls, those girls are just like the best evidence of humanity I've ever seen, I think. Hang on, I seem to recall, and I say this because you recorded it for broadcast, on this very podcast, you vowed upon your very existence that you would watch not one, not two, but three episodes of The West Wing this week. And it didn't happen. Yes, I didn't watch it at all, James. Um, life, unfortunately, got in the way. Life, job, child, uh, <laughs> existence. But I feel galvanised to watch it this weekend. I do have, um, I wouldn't say a whole spare day. I'd, I'd say the bits of the day where um, the human who depends on me is asleep. <laughs> but I feel galvanised because of something I saw this morning. Ah, 
And this, of course, this is skipping on to news a little bit, but fuck it, let's do it here. Let's because, do it. You know, why not be a little bit unorthodox? You are, of course, talking to the trailer for the West Wing special that is coming. What did you make of it? Because you've never, obviously, watched the show. So No, so I, I, it's, I think I've said before, it's one of those things where, you know, somebody would have it on, I'd watch a bit and think, oh, this looks good. But I've never sat down and watched a single whole episode. And everybody was sharing it on Twitter when we, I woke up this morning. We're recording this on Friday. And... um and you were already kind of apoplectic from what I could see. And everybody was also tweeting you and offering condolences to me and Boyd. And I was like, oh, let's see what all the fuss is about. And I don't know what it, I don't know if it was those collections of people on stage. I don't know if it's the clear love for it. I don't know if it's because we all know what's at stake with this American election. Mm. And they are doing um, this performance in collaboration with um, a vote campaign initiative in the States. But I honestly started, and it was also very good use of soppy music because I, I started like crying watching this West Wing teaser when I've never seen West Wing. I don't understand how that works. So I can only I mean, imagine you were be- kind of, you know, in floods. Behold the power of Sorkin. I mean, that's that is- right. No. That is a hundred percent. Also, how beautifully shot is it? Yeah, I wasn't expecting that because I think you kind of when you hear that they're doing a special stage version of a classic episode, you, I imagine they're just sitting around in seats on a, on a stage. <laughs> Whereas this is like clearly a, a produced. You yeah. know, visually interesting way of doing that episode, Hartsfield's Landing. That that was what su- surprised mm. me, and I just it was so beautifully put together that trailer, wasn't it? Um, just seeing them all again it is peak. It is real, absolute peak talking. Because I mean, that episode in a way it sums up everything about the West Wing. Because it's like liberal mm-hmm. dream world. <laughs> it's got the playful <laughs> chess thing going on, like the really obvious analogy, you know, of the metaphor of playing chess while they're having war games with China and all that, and the characters are kind of having power games with each other. And it's got the kind of um, fun element to it. CJ is, like, really funny in that episode, isn't she? She's really... So, oh, and God, yeah. I could just thought you, you saw in that clip, in that trailer, that how brilliantly fantastic those characters are, just seeing them back there. It Particularly, I think, in this time, in this week of Trump, peak Trump madness... As well, it just all. I think it's all part of that as well. It just feels like, oh my god, if only you know, we were back in this fantasy world of Bartlett and West Wing when everything was nice and liberal. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually it makes you sad a little bit. But yeah, the one thing about this episode that's funny is it's it's arguably one of, if not the funniest episodes of the West Wing. But a lot right. of the comedy in this one is very physical. So I'm very curious to see what they do because there's a practical joke off between Charlie and CJ, which yeah. is fucking hilarious. Uh, and I'm I'm fascinated to see how that how that gets played out on stage. But what really got me watching this was Sterling K. Brown coming in mm. there and delivering mm. John Spencer's lines. That I was like, oh God, you know, that was yeah. Oh, I, I cannot wait. I cannot wait to not be able to see this, is what I'm I saying. Know. <laughs> and I have to say, I've been monitoring, I've been monitoring, you know, listings-wise, the Sky listings, like, every fucking day, waiting for the their confirmation, but there's no sign of it. And it goes out next week in the States, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. 15th, is it, I think? So there's plenty of time. Someone said on Twitter, oh, you know, there's no point in showing it after the election, which is kind of true. But we yeah. have, oh, Sky's got two weeks. I just don't. But there's no sign of it. I mean, yeah, mm. it's, it's irritating. It's a, it is a funny thing. Like I, I obviously applaud that they're doing this, and I cannot wait to see it, even if I have to fly to America to do it. But um, <laughs> I don't. I still, as you said before, Boyd, I don't know who this is for because, frankly, if you're a Democrat and you're oh. not already in a queue to vote, I don't know yeah. what the fuck you're doing. Of so you yeah, know, it's like I mean, what, all those what is Trump. Happening? Yeah, all those MAGA people. They're definitely going to yeah. be love watching this episode of the fucking West Wing. <laughs> I know. This peak liberal. I, I mean, know. fucking Bill Clinton's going to have a cameo in it for God's. <laughs> Like, which I have to say, slightly <laughs> so ruining it for me. Obama, 
Sorry, it's Michelle, Michelle Obama. Obama. Yeah. I mean, I'm fully Which amazed with Michelle Obama. Yeah, Bill Clinton, I don't think we necessarily need that for various reasons. No, but well, it he is was, funny, He was right? a big fan of the show at the time. But it is the, the very belief that there is any any kind of crossover. Yeah. Or, you know, it's not like the British election where some people really felt that there was a thin line between voting potentially for Labour and Conservative on certain issues. I mean, the very thought that there is anybody sat there who's going to be swayed by the West Wing not to vote for yeah, Donald Trump brilliant. is... Uh, it's, I suppose encouraging turnout is the thing, isn't it? Mm, but I don't, I don't yeah. know if, seeing my friends in America, I don't think anybody's under any illusions oh about God. how important this election is specifically. 100%. But it is interesting that this is one of the reasons why Sorkin has said that he doesn't feel like he could really revive the West Wing because it's so hyper-partisan now. He's just not mm. sure how it would work. Whereas like the West Wing back in the day was watched by Republicans and Democrats. Obviously, Republicans rolled their eyes a little bit more at it. But, you know, there were a lot of bipartisan initiatives uh, in it. There were Republican members of the sort of main cast, you know, or, well, one. Well, I'm, and, I'm, uh, right <laughs> saying, I'm right in saying that at least to start, it wasn't clear what actually what party. They never actually said, did they? Oh, no, they did. Right. they did. Yeah, did no, they? it's it is. Yeah, it's it's very oh, okay. clear. It's very clear they're Democrat. Uh, yeah, and when they bring Ainsley on, there's a massive big deal about the fact. But she's a Republican. Uh, like okay. they're like, they, I mean, okay. they're constantly being badgered by congressional Republicans. But uh, so it is. Right, I mean, they did okay. used to call it the left wing back in the time. Well, you just invoked a full James Blaine. I enjoyed that. Oh no no no! Oh, no I think no, you're no, fine, no. boy. I, I think you're fine. I was like, oh, I think you're fine. Do not um, take him on. No. I can't tell you how excited I am. After, I just have to see that. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I want it to be tomorrow and I want my child to be asleep um, because I've got a feeling this is going to... This is going to be a life changer. I do think you'll love it. I think you. I yeah. think it'd be one of these things where it will. You'll at once love every second of it because it's super smart and super idealistic mm -hmm. and super liberal. But also, it will depress you because it is so far from the world we now live in. Uh, I'm not even sure it was that close to the world we lived in then. But still, I get close that. To... I get that just watching Deep Impact. Honestly, anything <laughs> with like, well, anything with a kind of vaguely together yeah. president. And yeah. Deep Impact had fucking Morgan Freeman for God. God's sake. So yeah. like, you know. I get that watching House of Cards. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Though I will I will say what I have been watching this week is Cobra Kai. Uh, oh, yeah. And now, Boyd, you mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. And yeah. on your recommendation, when I finished watching what I had been watching, I thought, oh, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll fire this up. And oh, my God, this may be the greatest thing on television. <laughs> and I don't even say that with a hint of irony. Like, genuinely, I cannot think of a TV show other than the obvious Picard Expanse type things that has brought me more joy <laughs> this year. Yeah. Like, it is so much fun it is so good it should be terrible and it is amazing <laughs> and i don't understand how that happened um i was reading how this show came together and um there's a music video that William Zabka had done, kind of sending up his character in Karate Kid and making him out to be the hero. And then there's an episode. Now, I never watched uh, How I Met Your Mother, but there's an episode in How I Met Your Mother. Have you seen this one, Boyd? Where, no, I've I read about it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, where Ralph Macchio's in it and someone says, oh, Johnny was the real hero of Karate Kid. And then William Zabka's in that episode. And apparently these things are what inspired them to put this mm. together. And... It's what's genius about this, and I was talking about this on Twitter and saying how much I was enjoying it. This is my new favorite thing. But people were saying, oh, yeah, I'm really enjoying it, even though it's really shit and it's terribly written. I'm like, no, what are you talking about? It is brilliantly written. It's mm. just written in a very specific way. Like, 
It's trashy, it's nonsense, but it's incredibly self-aware. And the gags, the lot are so funny. Like it's really, really well written. But and I was trying to explain to someone like why this is so good. And they're like, oh, so it's a comedy. I'm like, no. They said, well, it's a drama. I was like, no. Like, is it a dramedy? I'm like, well, no. Like, <laughs> it's 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 dramatic, but it is comedic, but it's like no one on the show admits that it's a comedy do you know what I mean like all the gags are mm. played 100% straight like there is no goofing off of the camera like it's all played straight and you feel like you know you're all in on this secret joke that no one's acknowledging and I absolutely love that sort of vibe that it has through it the way it's the aesthetic is unashamedly 80s from the music to the references mm. to the fact that all Johnny watches on TV is fucking Iron Eagle I mean it's just glorious and the fact that he's so deliberately like technophobe Luddite massively un PC thoroughly offensive to everyone and is completely unrepentant about it but is really sympathetic with it uh, and I genuinely and this is me I laugh out loud multiple times every episode which is just wow. amazing so I mean it is a bit <laughs> shit but it's not you know, it is because and I think you know that I and I did accidentally spoil a massive detail for James the other day yes, when he came to the office because my uh, boyfriend has been watching this obsessively and that means I've caught a few episodes <laughs> So a few crucial episodes, it turns out, after I spoke to James. Um, but it is, there's, there's bits, some of the dialogue is so heavy-handed. And what it is, I think you're right, James, it's it's unashamedly like those films and TV shows from when we were kids, like especially those mm. American shows, which were incredibly earnest. And um, the writing was kind of, you know, quite... It was everything was quite done quite heavy handed, but there's a bit of an innocence to it. And when I watched this, this is what it reminded me of. It reminded me of being a teenager and those American shows we used to watch and those American films. Because if you think about karate, actual Karate Kid, right? Yeah, it's cheesy as fuck. And it's it, oh, it the, really is cheesy as fuck. And tons of footage from that is used in this as well. But I will say in this, while they do deliver that heavy handed dialogue, it's always done deliberately. There's always a sense that they know a hundred percent what it is they're doing because. Yeah. They'll try to subvert it in some way or there'll be a look or there'll be a line which adds a little lift up, a little tweak of comedy to it. Yeah. Just to let you know that they are 100% in on every single gag. And it's just, I just think it's beautifully written. I really do. And I, I take I take issue with it being shit. It is not shit. It is marvellous. Uh, I, um, I caught the uh, episode where he kind of had a new recruit. And he gives him the brush and he's, and he's going, oh, no, no, it was the wax on wax and he goes, oh, I know what you want me to do. I do that over and over again. And then and he totally like ruined the actual gag and the riff from the original film. And, and I liked how meta that got because they yeah. took the thing mm. that everybody rhapsodies and just made it out to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get it because the kids are today are much smarter. Um, that no, made me there's laugh. There's an even better bit where the, he gets the kid in the dojo and he's cleaning the windows. He goes, is there any particular way you want me to clean the windows? Like, and, and he went, no, I don't give a shit. Just get them clean. And it's just it's just. Really Really fucking funny. Um, yes, this is magnificent. I've watched the whole of season one in the past, I think, three days. So uh, I'm now plowing through season two. And we will get onto this in news. But these sections seem to be blurring together this week. So fuck it, I'll <laughs> say it now. Uh, season three has been announced. It's airing in January on Netflix. And season four has already been greenlit, which I think was part of the deal of why Netflix picked it up. Because YouTube uh, Red, which is now, I think, YouTube Premium or Premier, whatever it's called, they didn't want to pick yeah. it up for a fourth season, whereas uh, Netflix are. But it's one of these things where this has become like one of the most streamed shows yeah. on Netflix. Like over the summer, yeah. it was such a massive hit for them. And I think when it was on YouTube, to the best of my knowledge, I could be wrong, but the best of my knowledge, it went largely unacknowledged. People didn't really see it. But I, uh, yeah, it, it, it seems to have taken on this new lease of life now that it's on Netflix, and it is a phenomenon. Well, on the I saw in that Nielsen does a chart of all streaming shows, and it was mm. number one. 
um, this week, I believe. Like, you know, people talk about that, that the was boys. just me. Yeah. yeah, that was just you. The people talk about the boys on Amazon, which is their biggest hit, I think, ever, yeah. pretty much. But that was like number five. Cobra Kai is doing way more people watching that. Oh. Um, and I, yeah, it is, it is incredible. I think it is like, it's the knowing, self-referential, and yet not smug mm. tone that is such a triumph of it, for it. Like, they absolutely established that they're going to take the piss out of itself <laughs> as a phenomenon and the original film and, and sequels and stuff. And yet there's a kind of underneath that, there is a sincerity to it. And that is the mm. brilliant kind of um, balance. You have nailed it perfectly there. It is. It's that line of sincerity because you know the, <laughs> no, but it's true. Like, you know how I, I have very little patience for, you know, send ups because they always tend to be over the top and too heavy handed. Yeah. This yeah. gently sends it up while yeah. also being sincere and affectionate. And they've struck yeah. this incredibly fine line perfectly. And that is why it works. Hmm. Well, all those terrible film, like, you know, the, the Baywatch film and the Starsky mm. Nutch film, this is what they were trying to do, yeah. but completely yeah. failed miserably. <laughs> this is it. This is how you do it. And yeah. it is, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. Cobra Kai, strike first, strike hard, no mercy. Yes. Um, what else have you guys been watching? Well, can I tell you what I haven't, I haven't been watching? I know that's not the name of the segment. <laughs> well, but, um, TV, I think we've, uh, well, we've established. Can I, tell you, can I tell you what I haven't been watching, but which every, everybody seems to have kind of got a bit hot under the collar about? So again, I'm bleeding with new slightly, which is, and Boyd, I want to know if you've watched this, because it's also coming up in my Netflix as one of the top shows yeah. this week. Yeah, I know what you're going to say. You know what I'm going to say? Yeah. Emily yeah, and I have. in oh, Paris. Oh, Christ. Yes. Now, now, everybody's, now it was actually trending the other day and it seemed to be trending because everybody was saying oh my god it's inutterable shit <laughs> right so yeah. that seemed to be what everyone was saying and then i think quite a few people in the tv world quite a few writers and um filmmakers were saying well you know fuck me we struggle to get shows made and this seems to be a show that's either been commissioned or is at least has this buzz around it because people think it's so shit and is that kind of what streaming services want something like this which isn't universally acknowledged to be the best but basically everybody's hate watching it and why do people hate watch anyway and etc 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 um so yeah i suppose it's a weird one right because i haven't seen it because everybody keeps saying it's dreadful and if somebody tells me something's dreadful what i don't ever then want to do is go and watch mm, it that doesn't seem like a controversial position <laughs> well, yeah. so, well um, i have watched it yeah i have but watched tell it. us boyd tell yeah. us boyd because i it was exactly that phenomenon yeah the hate it became clearly the hate watch of the moment um and people talking about on social media everyone talking about social. so i thought i had to watch it and um do you know what it, I, I, first of all it's not that bad is is my was my initial reaction it is incredibly it's like it, it's so slick and kind of um like smooth, the whole thing has this kind of glitz to it, you know, like mm. in late period Sex in the City, you know, late period Sex in the City and yes, the films, yes, yes, you know, that yes. sheen, particularly the yes. films actually have to them, that kind of like, and it's got that feel to it, that literally that look to it. And it is like unbelievably smug, you know, on one level about, about this, about the whole idea of this young woman going to Paris and being becoming an influencer and mm. all of that. Like half of it is about her latest Instagram posts. What's she going to post on Instagram? And um, it's beautiful people in Paris. and and the depiction of the French people. Literally, in the first episode, one of the characters says, "All French people are horrible." Something like that, you know. Like it, it kind of, it's extremely um, unsubtle and heavy-handed and glitzy and uh, but. 
it's actually not that bad. It's like it's just it's just it, it's and it's absolutely aware of what it's doing. Um, but I have to say, like the, it, then, it, it, as often happens with Netflix shows for me, I felt like this was a YA thing for a while. Like mm. this felt like um, like the co the creator of Sex and the City, the co creator was doing a YA mm. version of it. And, and, and to some extent, is and then then suddenly things happen in it. Like in episode two, she has um, cyber sex with her boyfriend who's back in Chicago, and they're wanking together in this scene. You're like, oh, okay, you know, okay. that's going to happen in the middle of this slick, like unbelievably shallow, you know, show. Suddenly this scene happens, and you're like, oh, okay. And there, it's got these moments where suddenly, like, reality kind of enters the situation. Because I felt that was kind of like a kind of bold scene to do, really, and probably like what yeah. would actually happen, really. Um, I mean, it was terribly done, but it still it just did happen. Um, so it just isn't that. But there are moments of it that are quite good and quite funny, and there are characters that are quite you kind of almost believe in, and you know you know which way it's going because what they all hate her. Mm. They all you know all these French people, all these sophisticated, rude, obnoxious smoking. They're constantly smoking in the office, which is quite <laughs> funny. Yeah. Oh, so French. So French. And they all really rude to her and horrible, and she's obviously going to win them all round. It's like it's like that. It's just a formulaic slick thing, mm. but it is just isn't that bad. It is watchable. It is immensely watchable. So I, I've, I only I only tested it out to see if it really was as bad as everyone was saying. And we up to like the fourth episode. I'm like, yeah, probably I'll probably carry on watching this fucking shitty thing. So that <laughs> that was my reaction to it. But I can. It's definitely. Like I definitely, I've seen people, as you say, writers of shows that have been can been cancelled by Netflix, going, "Well, is this the future?" And on one level, it probably is, but I think they probably, you know, I think it's just this is one thing that they'll definitely carry on doing. I'm sure this kind of empty thing, but yeah, it is kind of entertaining, and it is for what it is. It's just you know, it's just well done. It is a Gossip Girl kind of thing, you know. Hey, mm. no, Gossip Girl was not shit. Gossip Girl had bite. Like it was actually pretty decent. Yeah, well, this might eventually be pretty decent. I think it's not. She, Lily Collins, in the it's a lot to take. Like she is irritating, but she's supposed to be. Like yeah. she's supposed to be an irritating American, uh, entitled American in this in, among all these French people. So they all hate, you're supposed to find it irritating, but I, I think that's probably the main barrier. I think people are probably finding her character so immensely entitled and annoying that it's putting them off. But I just kind of dealt with it. Did you, Boyd, watch? Mm. I mean, we alluded to this, I alluded to this, at least in the introduction, uh, The Third Day Live. I did, yeah. Well. How much of it? I, I would say I watched probably half of it, I would say. Oh, fuck. Okay, out. so a good six hours of it. Christ. On and off, yeah. I watched a lot in the morning. So I watched it start the beginning of it. It started mm. at 9.30. And I watched probably till about lunchtime. Then I went out. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> uh, and I recorded it as well. So... Like, you know, I've got like fucking 12 hours on my Sky Q <laughs> system. Um, so, and then I came back and watched quite a lot on and off. I was flicking between other things. Um, but yeah, it was an incredible achievement, I have to say. I think, and it wasn't what I was expecting because I was, I, I assumed that that would have like this festival element, which they actually had anyway in 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 the show in the first, in the second and third episode, like mm. they're, they're building up to a kind of festival on the island of OC that, Jude Law's character was observing. And I thought, oh, the obvious thing to do in the life, I thought it was just going to be him watching this fucking music festival thing, especially when he found out that Florence Welsh was in it, a Florence the Machine. But actually, mm. it wasn't that at all. And it was actually a 12-hour, unbelievably slow and yet fascinating extra episode thing, which did advance the story, kind of. 
you know, he was being put through this extraordinary, grueling tests, really, by these weird quasi-religious locals, including, you know, dragging things and digging his own grave and, and crawling around in his pants in the crawling mud. Around pants, his pants. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the bit where they, he had to stand on a thing in the sea yeah. in his pants next to the, the young guy in his pants and then he you know and at one point like fell off that was just it was, it was extraordinary it was an extraordinary ambitious thing and they by the way they must have rehearsed the whole fucking thing for 12 hours during the day before because it was very well i flicked i flicked onto it a few times mainly because ben travis of empire yeah. was um was t- hilariously tweeting it and I had no fucking clue what was going on, but I just kept, I was like, oh, there's Jude Law in his pants covered in either mud or shit. I'm going to presume it's shit. Uh, I mean, it is a festival, so that would be a fair assumption. Yeah. <laughs> this seems like a good time. Yeah, it was mesmerising, though. And then and then Florence Welsh arrives, not like just acting this role. With or without like, the machine. Without the machine, but then she does do a bit of performance. Um, but there's like a Last Supper element to it with all that you're kind of watching. And it was pretty much, it was filmed in one shot I mean there were cuts but really only to emphasise the cuts weren't didn't even seem to be to allow them to kind of ch- you know uh, change the camera movement or whatever just to, to remind you that Jude Law it was all about his character so they would cut to show him in a state of distress and then back to these people having a great old time in their last supper thing with Florence Welsh laughing and drinking and having and eating it was absolutely incredible I don't know how they did it was like thinking how the fuck did they do this thing yeah I mean, it was um, it was at various moments unbelievably boring. You know, he dug it. I think he was digging for about half an hour, or maybe more. Just him literally digging. But he also was doing it, acting, performing it, and he was grueling, and he was emotional, and you know, it was fucking. It was an incredible thing to do for him. But he he came out of. I was like, he is an f- absolute hero doing this thing. <laughs> yeah, he must be knackered. I presume he's gone to bed for a week. Oh. Yeah, either that or he's fired his agent. It'd be one or the other. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, astonishing. It's I mean, it's an incredibly audacious bit of bit of television. I mean, but, I mean, it's not. Would you say it is? You know, in any way essential to skipping on to Third Day Winter? Um, Do you need to go on the internet and read what happened? Not really. I guess not. No, that's the clever thing about it in a way. Because what happens at the end of episode three of 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 the of the series? Mm. It, this is really it's an elaborate kind of. Adv- explanation or more it's just more of what happens at the end of the episode yeah, the third yeah, episode yeah. i think and then as the, the new series starts which is a totally different character naomi harris arrives in the, yeah. in the second part of it the second tranche as i'm calling it <laughs> um uh so no you don't need to have seen it but having an idea just knowing that they put him through grueling shit for 12 hours is enough i think that's the point mm. of it you know these weird um yeah weird shit putting him through as much weird shit as possible and by the way, there was things like sorry, I can go on a bit. No, go on. The, the low hum of the, the there was a soundtrack of a, a soundtrack all the way through of this low hum, this vibrating thing, and fuck knows how how they did that. I was like, how did they do that? Someone they must have this, it just going on and on and on and on, varying kind of really slightly as 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 and when some other weird thing would happen with Jude Law or whatever. It was it was just absolutely incredible. Do you know what wasn't incredible, Boyd? What? The finale of The Walking Dead. The finale, I should point out, that is not the finale. The finale that uh, was yeah. the finale, but the delayed finale, which is no longer the finale because there are six episodes coming next year. It was just, it felt a bit flat, a bit anticlimactic. 
didn't really do it for me, if I'm honest with you. So uh, I was I was quite disappointed by that. I will, of course, press on because, frankly, I've come this far with The Walking Dead and it would just be ridiculous to, to jump out in the final season. So I'm going to press on to the end. But yeah, I thought that was a, that was a bit of a shame. Right. Well, that is what we've been watching. And since we've been banging on for a full half hour on that one, I think we will probably skip a question this week and go straight in to news. Handily, though, we've already covered off the fact that the West Wing has a trailer and the fact that Cobra Kai has been renewed and that season three is coming in January. So let's push on to the third biggest story of the week, which, of course, is that The Expanse season five (laughs) will be airing on December 16. And there is a trailer and it is amazing. And TV is great. Great. All hail the expanse. All is right with the world. Did you watch the trailer, guys? Did you watch it? Did you love it? Are you down with the belter loader? Free the belt. Did I fuck? <laughs> did, yeah. No? Absolutely also, not. What did you write on Twitter? What was that? I wrote, what was that you can't stop the message in the Creole patois of the belter loader. Oh, my God. How do you do um, bellend in the <laughs> patois creator loader? <laughs> I think it's, I think that might be idiomatic. I'm not sure the belters have a word for that. Oh. <laughs> um, but uh, I, yeah, I, I like this a lot. The trailer was really good. But more than that, I have heard, I have heard from the Expanse fan base. I don't know what their particular name is. Expansionists, maybe. Um, apparently, mm. this season is based on the best book of the whole series. So this may Thank be. God. Yeah. So this could be. <laughs> hey, see you, Mark. You enjoyed the one episode of season four that you watched, as I recall. I cannot even remember for the life of they me. I think I blocked it out. And Naomi was giving people shit. You loved it. Oh yeah, we did watch it. Didn't oh we? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, this is shaping up to be very good, and it's coming almost exactly a year after the previous season, which is more than can be said for a lot of TV shows at the moment, unfortunately. But yes, the expanse cannot be stopped. You can't stop the message. Uh, it comes full <laughs> circle. Not. What else has happened this week? Oh, in other things that Terry, you'll find very exciting. Of course, there were mm-hmm. some pictures from The Witcher season two. We got to see Geralt in his brand new armor, and you must have been down new with that armor. Mm. I mean, the armor was so cool and and exciting. Well, you, I mean, presumably you were thinking, well, it's interesting because it's kind of like cat school armor. Definitely not bear. Could be wolf school. It's a cross between maybe the enhanced cat school, enhanced wolf school armor. Was that what you were thinking? Totally. Yeah. Totally, yeah. you know, really hard to yeah. tell. But I think, you know, if we do a, do a deep dive, really look at the detail, I think we'll be able to get to the bottom of, uh, of the armour. There was uh, there were pictures of Siri also in Yennefer. So they, they dropped quite a bit. And I, I think, I sad to say, I think they're dropping pictures in lieu of an actual season because The Witcher has begun production again but there is no chance it's going to hit its slot in december for season two so i think we're going to have a bit of a wait for for more witchering so i'm sorry terry you are you are going to have to wait a little bit longer for Geralt's triumphant return i'm i'm devastated <laughs> could tell do we want to talk about glow yes um, yeah and the, because people seem to be oh, well, this yes. should be a regular spot shouldn't it netflix yeah. swings the axe spot yeah yeah it's uh so glow which was not cancelled is now cancelled. New, newly uncancelled. Yeah, yeah. Boyd, help uh, me. Yeah, um, it was recommissioned and it's been de-recommissioned. <laughs> yeah, which is harsh. And poor Genji Kohan, who who um, is the showrunner, her teenage bounty hunters. She was also co-producer yeah. of that. That's also been cancelled. Yeah. She's having a shocker. Was, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and she she was responsible for some of Netflix's best stuff. So I feel it's like it's unbelievably harsh. Um, and they're blaming the vi- the virus. I don't know if that's going to wash, really. <laughs> How does that work, though? Because 
How, how does that work? What's wrong with the virus? I mean, not, not yeah. much. Yeah, what's wrong with coronavirus? You are the Donald Trump. But it's obviously impacting TV in, in a very different way to, say, cinema, in that people are watching more of it. Yeah, well, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. If, I think, I guess there, there's more cost for each, every show costs yeah. more because they have to make everything virus, you know, friendly or whatever. Mm. Um but, but Netflix, which, you know, <laughs> makes billions and billions and has 150 yeah. squillion um, subscribers around the world, I, 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 it feels like a lame excuse. Mm. I feel they just they just cannot be bothered with certain shows that aren't, you know, we've got, we, we now talk about there is a weekly discussion, but yeah. I think that is, that feels like the underlying reason rather than blaming it on the virus. And we did discuss last week that obviously every season does become incrementally more expensive for them. So they're less inclined right. to renew things, but it's hard to justify cancelling a show like Glow that does have a big following when you're allowing Emily to tit around in Paris. So, huh. <laughs> yeah. Paddy, um, Paddy Considine oh, yeah. joining oh, yes. Game of Thrones. Yes. James, this is right. I mean, this is kind of, I'm here for the Paddy and <laughs> yeah. you're here for Game of Thrones. Right. This may actually get me into the Game of Thrones prequel. If Paddy Considine can't do it, then nothing fucking can, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah I love your short-lived Game of Thrones fandom where you watched the final season, thought it was the best thing ever, then stopped halfway through and never went back to it or started again from the beginning, which is classic Terry. <laughs> classic Terry. <laughs> yeah. Classic Terry. I love you. I, 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 you mean nothing I love to you. Me. You're indifferent. I've forgotten you existed. Yeah. Who are you? <laughs> this is going to be our relationship in in, in microcosm. Um, so yeah. yeah so uh, Paddy Constantine will be indeed playing a, a King Viserys. Viserys the first of the House Targaryen, who you might be interested to know, was chosen to succeed the old king by the Lords of Westeros and ruled over the land a hundred years after Aegon's conquest. Apparently, he's described as a bit of a nice bloke, which seems unlikely given that he's a Targaryen king. But hey ho. Yeah. Well, I, I was saying, um, on, we talked about this on the Empire podcast yesterday, and I was saying after his uh, after his turn, his Royston Vasey-esque turn in uh, Third Day, uh, <laughs> I, which, you know, probably only his turn in Dead Man's Shoes was kind of of a similar ilk. I think Paddy can do pretty much how he puts his mind to. Mm. It totally makes sense, though, doesn't it? Because if you think of the Game of Thrones, like, it really, he could have been, like, myriad characters in Game of Thrones because there were so many British, Irish <laughs> yeah. character actors of his um, talent that he would totally have fitted in, mm. in, in in that show somewhere. And it's almost bizarre that he wasn't in it. And I'm sure, I'm sure, like, they must have... I'm sure he must have been up for various roles, I just assume, because he's the kind of actor they absolutely would have gone for. And to have him front and centre in, in this show, in the franchise, feels, makes total sense, I think. Mm. Were you... Uh- as excited, Terry, to see that Captain Catherine Janeway will be back on the bridge. No? No. You so are. Kate Mulgrew, Kate Mulgrew, <laughs> uh, who is not mainly famous for playing the Russian character in Orange is the New Bat, but of course Captain Catherine Janeway of the Federation Starship uh, Voyager, yes. will be reprising her role uh, as Star Trek's first female captain in Star Trek Prodigy, which is the Nickelodeon animated kids Star Trek, which is about a group yeah. of lawless teenagers who discover a derelict Starfleet ship and take it on adventures. So, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Great <Yes>. reaction. <laughs> uh, but she's she's probably psyched to be, be voicing uh, Janeway again because she did release a little video about it. Uh, I will not be watching this because, as I might have mentioned, it's a Nickelodeon cartoon about a bunch of lawless kids who go on an adventure. But um, but nevertheless, I'm I'm thrilled that she's she's 
back in the captain's chair. Mm. Um, surely the Terry news of the week is that um, the I Am series has confirmed its latest. <gasps> yes. 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 Dominic so obviously- Savage's thing that yes. Terry basically invented, um, <laughs> co-created, yes. has announced that Letitia Wright is the latest, and that is very exciting. I am Danielle, right? Yeah. I am Danielle. It's, I mean, I'm really glad that this is kind of a continuing yeah. thing because we weren't sure if it was just those three initial episodes. Um, Dominic uh, Savage is just, I think, such a interesting filmmaker and does these in really interesting ways. The way he collaborates with his actors is incredible when you know we were all blown away by the last three Gemma Chan um Samantha Morton uh Vicky McClure actually four right Vicky McClure and um no Saran James is in the next series yeah yeah and so we were all blown away by the last three when he worked with uh Vicky McClure Samantha Morton and Gemma Chan all really different stories all reflecting really different kind of issues that women face but all done so beautifully so intimately and yeah it's really exciting to see him working with her I mean she's incredible obviously Mangrove uh, premiered at LFF this week Letitia Wright has had such an incredible couple of years and to see her kind of I suppose challenged differently in this kind of collaboration with a director I think will be really, really interesting. So I, I am bang up for this. I am so excited. And and who else are you saying, Boyd? Saran Jones? Yes, yeah, so they'd already announced Saran Jones is going to be mm. the first in the second series. Um, and just right, it's the second. So I think there's one more to go. I think there's a third who they haven't announced yet, so which is exciting. And in other, as you mentioned, uh, Mangrove, the, the um, Steve McQueen film that's part of the um, Small Axe series, that they, BBC announced the date for that as well. So on Sunday, the 15th of November, uh, Mangrove will be the first of that series of five films that he's made um, that are going to show every, weekly on BBC One Primetime, which I think is is just brilliantly exciting anyway. So there have been two of them, I think, are airing at the London Film Festival. Yes, they are, um, yeah. But all of them will be on BBC One um, from the 15th. And John Boyega's in one, Naomi Aki's in one, and Letitia Wright, as we've said. So that's pretty um, thrilling. And they're all telling slightly different parts of black British history, aren't they? Um, So, yeah, super excited for this. Whether it's TV or film, who gives a fuck? Yeah, it's 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 the the big question. I mean, what are we going to... I mean, yeah, they're weak. There's five in a series under the title Small Axe, and yet they are feature length, and they're made by Steve McQueen. What to do? Mm. Yeah, watch them all. Watch them all, and yeah. be thankful. <laughs> yeah. That's that's my plan. Yep, yeah, good plan. Something. Uh, also, I saw BBC Three has acquired of the very exciting American comedy Twenties, which this is written and created by Lena Waithe of Queen and Slim fame. She wrote Queen and Slim, and it's an autobiographical series about a young black lesbian aspiring writer and her mates in Los Angeles. And it's going to be on from Sunday the 25th. So we'll pro- hopefully we'll get to review it um, if they can get the screeners to us. Um, but that I think is one of the more exciting projects and bbc3 is on a roll we've mentioned i mentioned every every other mm. week they they acquire another really interesting american show and this is a, this is the latest do you know what else is exciting the morning show season two has resumed filming this month or is oh, resuming wow. filming this yes. month i should say uh, so great. that's great news that they're back at it but bad news because they are still back at it which means that we will not be seeing it anytime soon i wouldn't think yeah yeah they announced dickinson as the one that's going to be back in january didn't they which yeah. was like the least 
I don't know. I can't, it was all right. I quite liked the first episode. Well, they've, Terry's face they've is commissioned amazing. season three ahead of the season two return yeah. in January as well. So they're clearly doubling down on Emily. But um, yeah, I want the morning show. Seems bold. I want the morning yeah, show. Yeah. I mean, admittedly, I want the morning show as a kind of amuse bouche before the main course, which is, of course, C. But uh, no. No. Best no, thing. Best thing. Servant. M- no, what's happening with that? Yeah, I want the morning show, yeah. and I think I'm gonna have to watch both again just to kind of yeah. like keep tied me over. Mm. Is everyone yeah. in those shows blind? No, ergo, see is better. <laughs> You are like the only person in the world. Actually, there's probably like, you've probably got a little tribe of people, haven't you? You normally have. When you go like weird on something, there's yeah. normally yeah. a hundred people on Twitter who agree with you and follow you to the ends of it's the earth. It's men, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> they must all be men. <laughs> hey, hey, I, I take issue with that. Uh, okay. But yes, yes, that's correct. Baba Voss's triumph and return will be with us sooner or later. Oh, good. Right. Is that all for news? Oh, there's probably one other thing to mention, and that is that The Peripheral, which is a William Gibson uh, novel, has got Chloe Grace Moretz in the lead. That's being adapted by, well, it's been uh, exact produced by Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy, but it's Scott Smith who is the showrunner on this particular one. I've not read the book, but it is apparently about a woman trying to hold together the pieces of her broken family in a forgotten corner of tomorrow's America. Don't really understand what that means, but I'm sure it's great. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like pretty much every other, like, oh, somebody's trying to hold something broken together somewhere in the near future. Yeah, that's every TV this, show you've ever liked, Terry. This is, I know. This was the book that I confused William Gibson for someone else when we originally discussed this uh, this story when it was first announced, and I got lots of people on Twitter pointing out I got it completely wrong. Did you? So that was good. Yeah, I confused him for someone else. And I now can't remember who I confused him for, so that's, it's, even, it's getting even worse. Yeah. Amazing. Well, that is, broadly speaking, it for this week's TV news, so let's move on to this week's reviews and we begin as we tried to end last week but failed spectacularly uh, with the right stuff this dropped last Friday but if you will remember embargoes prevented us from talking about it on last week's show Uh, this is an adaptation of the Tom Wolfe book from the 1970s and indeed the movie from the early 80s and it takes a look at the Mercury 7 Uh, that is the team of astronauts selected to be the first men in space spoiler Yuri Gagarin had other ideas uh now terry and boyd are going to love this show and let me tell you why because not only was the mercury mission a milestone in nasa history but all the hoopla around the astronauts and their families in the early 60s became what you could very well argue was the very first reality tv show the whole oh, yes. absolutely true God. the whole nation became obsessed with every aspect of these men's lives uh but terry can mercury 7 hold a candle to little mix <laughs> I mean, that's definitely not the um, intro I was expecting. So um, I was reading about this this week and Lucy Mangan in The Guardian described this as Mad Men in Space, which actually I would be fully here for Mad Men in Space, but it isn't quite Mad Men in Space for me and I'll tell you why. So it opens up on this um, scene with these um, two pilots and there's there's clear tension between them and it's launch day and... 
And then what happens is, and you're, it's basically meant to establish this rivalry between them. And then Boyd's favourite thing ever happens <laughs> when it goes two years yes. earlier, <laughs> yes. um, and we go back to the um, to the start of the story. And this is this is the 1950s and 60s. And as the book and as the film, which um, actually we'll get onto whether the film is better. Yes, it is. <laughs> basically, spoiler. Um, <laughs> this is the story of um, NASA's Project Mercury, the Mercury Seven, and it's the Mercury Seven. Um, who we become kind of interested in and, and who form the basis of this drama. Um, and in this first episode, we meet three of the seven um, men, essentially. And there is, uh, let's start with Glenn, played by Patrick J. Adams. He's 38 and essentially, apparently that's the oldest you can be. Um, and he's kind of feeling like his career is over. He's not so quietly raging about this. Um, alongside him, you've got Alan Shepard, played by Jake McDorman, um, who is, as we learn very quickly, all about the kind of extramarital affairs, which you sense he's doing because he's got this desk job that makes him unhappy. And then the third one is Gordon Cooper, who is essentially struggling because he and a friend were top gunning and we'll talk about top gun as well in a minute. Um, and his wingman, um, and this isn't a spoiler. It happens very quickly is, um, is killed during test, their test pilots. And as he says, you know, when you're test pilots, you push things and they sometimes break. So you've got these three men who are essentially anchoring the story. And the, and the bigger story is, is the space race and the 110 men have been chosen the best of the best from around, um, America, I'd say the world, but they they claim the world, but what they mean is America. And it's the people who will become the astronauts for Project Mercury, and one of them will become the first American in space. So you have the space race between America and Russia, but you also have the competition between these men for who will be the first American in space. Now, let's talk about the good stuff. So... I really liked the kind of three stories that you've got going on. I found them all intriguing in different ways. It's beautifully done. So in terms of the Mad Men-esque nature of it, the period setting is really, really incredible. The detail is really good. It's shot beautifully. The costumes are brilliant. You're like, all of that is like bang on the money. Where it kind of is less kind of well executed, I suppose, for me is is what I feel like it does is it's really aware of the fact that people are going to be looking at this in terms of sexism and kind of gender politics and things like that. So whereas things like this before have not been that involved with that and have kind of just gone full throttle at it, there's this weird sense that you get of they're trying to be careful about this stuff and not be branded sexist. But fundamentally, if you're talking about the 50s and 60s, that's by, you know, that's going to be in there because that's what men are like there. And when what that leads to, and I think this is what it what it's about, is the script is really heavy-handed in places. So I start to write a list of things that made me cringe slash want to die, and there was quite a lot of it. So, yeah, there's a bit where one of the guys goes, they're talking about what's at stake. And, you know, you, you know what's at stake. You know what's at stake with the space race, and you know what's at stake for these men's lives. But he goes, if it's a failure, there will be deep gloom and i'm like who actually says that and then you know there's a bit where he's in bed with a woman and it's like and they're doing a sex scene it's like you push the throttle all the way up you put and there's there's bits that i just found really difficult because 
I don't know if they were trying to kind of paint what it was like at that time, but it's so unsophisticated in many respects. When he's talking to his mistress, he says, I'll tell you anything you want to know, just not my name. And then when they all <laughs> arrive there to do, you know, the 110 men um, to be put through their faces, <laughs> paces, they are told we need to work fast. We need to work smart. We need the best. Our very way of lives are at stake. It's like we understand what is at stake if you have a, a basic understanding of the space race. Um, so I suppose I I liked it. I liked how it looked. Um, I was intrigued by these three men, especially. I found the politics of it quite interesting. Um, but I suppose I thought in, in places and perhaps as a way to kind of not be caught out on those things of gender politics and what have you, there is some lack of sophistication in in how some of the dialogue is rendered um and that for me made it feel um a, just a bit too heavy-handed at times and i couldn't help but cringe and and feel like it lacked a certain amount of nuance and originality in that way yeah this the main achievement of this series, and it's it's a pretty big achievement, I think, in many ways, is that it's going to drive millions of people to watch the film, the right stuff, yes. um, which is brilliant, which is excellent, absolutely yes. excellent. It's, it's one of my favourite films, and honestly, you, you put this on, and half an hour into the to this to this, I was like, I've just got to watch the film again because what is the point? I mean, I think the only point <laughs> of this series, genuinely, I think. You know, Disney slash it's a National Geographic part of Disney, which originally was just going to be on the National Geographic Channel. I think. I think they just sat there and they went, "We need an astronaut thing because every all of the Netflix has got like two or three astronaut things away. We did, <laughs> you know, recently, and um, Space Force is an astronaut thing, really. I mean, it's obviously an out and out comedy. And you know, Apple's got for all mankind, which has got apparently an incredible amount in common with this show, which mm. we we kind of didn't have time to review. But a lot, there are a lot of fans of that show for all mankind. Then just loads of them, and I think they just went, uh, we have to have one, and why not do the right stuff in a kind of, you know, in a, in a lavish way? So it's almost like the point of it is that we can now that you know effects are so good and the production values are so great, and we have enough money to make this look and seem incredibly authentic. And it is, it does feel, authenticity is the one thing it's got mm. going for it. So it does show you everything that these astronauts had to go through in their training, et cetera. But I felt like that's about it. Like what other, and as you say, that device, oh my God, this is the most irritating example where it's not interesting enough that you're telling the story of how they picked the astronauts and what they had to go through to get to the point that they were going to be the first men in space. You actually have to have the framing device where they're about to go on the fucking mission and then you cut back two years. I mean, it was just so yeah. lazy, so lazy, that storytelling. That device, that cold open flashback device, it's normally like they're in the middle of a mission, things are blowing up, someone's yeah. about to die, and yeah. then you flash back. And this is two men having breakfast yeah. and <laughs> then it flashes <laughs> wobbling, back, And you're like, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah, it was cat-handed. You're right, it was idiotic. And oh, it really annoyed me, this show. I have to say, I just thought it was so... All this amount of money lavished for what purpose? Again, the, honestly, I, I'm, I'm going to look at the iTunes chart for the film later because I bet it goes way up because people are going to be like, oh, that's... That. And the, the thing about the film is Chuck Yeager is the kind of hero of that film who's the one who wasn't picked. He was the mm. test pilot played by Sam Shepard in the film. And in this series, he is not... They do not bother with him at all. And yet, really, he his presence is what makes the film in many ways so special and so unique. And I didn't, I haven't read the book, but, you know, apparently that was the thing that Philip Kaufman wanted to get, was it, the book is largely inspired by Chuck Yeager, who wasn't picked, mm. and, and how 
And the the kind of tragedy of that is what the pathos of that is what drives the the book and the film. But that's just not in this. Disney's gone. No, forget him. It's too complicated. We can't deal with him. Let's just focus on the ones that did get there and why and how. And it's just not. It's just not in, good enough. Really, it's an odd one, isn't it? Because it's kind of weirdly. Like when you get down to it, it's it's a quite boring workplace drama like it's yeah. just it's really routine the characters are flawed yes absolutely there's lots of strange relationships in there but it also felt to me like a little bit thin and a little bit superficial like i just wasn't that interested in any of the characters now it's worth noting the film is over three hours long so it's not short but at eight hours this is a stretch especially when you've got more the more interesting parts of the film removed from it and <laughs> and the only note i wrote when watching this was in block capitals Bellends, which this this show <laughs> unarguably oh, fails the Bellend test on every single level because everyone in it is a massive penis. But they were in the ma- in, in Mad Men, right? As Terry said, yes. like you know, if, if yeah. that was the whole thing about Mad Men, all the but the men were penises. Yes, they were Bellends. Yeah, but. It, the brilliance of it was it was making them three dimensional mm, and, and interesting and, 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 and compelling and interesting. Mm. Yeah, this yeah. does not do that. It, but it feels like too self conscious. It's so self conscious mm. about those men being dicks. Here's the guy having the extramarital affair, you know, with a panting woman who doesn't seem to give a fuck. You know, like if he doesn't give her a name or if she's just being used for sex. And they seem so self conscious about making those guys not complete bastards. When actually, as you say, the trick with Mad Men is they are complete bastards but actually over time you discover why mm. and you peel back the layers and because that was also the reality of how it worked back in those days and how women were treated and you know the role of wives and all of that stuff you there's no point rewriting history to try and make them seem a little bit like less bastardy is that a word <laughs> yeah do you know what i mean yeah. you might yes. as well just and i feel like that self-consciousness of making this in 2020 is kind of probably actually weakening those characters fundamentally so have the courage of your convictions and lean into the bellendery yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> lean <laughs> into much. the bellend that's the moral of that particular story and on that note we should point out the right stuff is available to watch now on disney plus as it dropped on friday october the 9th Next up this week, though, we have the BBC's Roadkill, uh, written by David Hare. This is a four-part miniseries about corruption in Whitehall as Hugh Laurie's sleazy Tory MP tries to stop his past catching up with him, while Sarah Green's intrepid reporter does her best to bring him down. It also includes Helen McCrory as a Prime Minister so fucking badass I want her face on a (laughs) T-shirt. But Boyd, (laughs) is this political drama levelling up BBC television? Oh, very good. Um... <laughs> it's a wholehearted endorsement. Well done, yeah. well done, that man. Um, it's fascinating this this series, I think, because so first of all, David Hare is, I think, is one of those um, kind of grand old white men of of um, theatre and drama who seemingly kind of gets to do pretty much what they want into now. Like, I, that, like you know, Stephen Polyakov now. If Stephen Polyakov, whatever the fuck he wants to do, seemingly the BBC will commission you know an eight part drama about. In spies in World War Two or people on a train or whatever. And David Hare did a four-part drama a couple of years ago, um, which was kind of a political thriller as well, uh, called Collateral, which was pretty decent, but also at the same time as being pretty decent was kind of quite flawed and quite felt quite contrived to me anyway, even though a great cast and everything. So I entered this with a slight amount of um, 
I mean, fascinating. Anything that has Hugh Laurie as a Tory MP, <laughs> as a kind, also as a as a kind of populist Tory MP, who's got his own, he's on the radio every week. He's clearly quite right wing, quite kind of, you know, he's a working class guy, um, and he's he clearly got loads and loads of skeletons in his closet. I mean, the opening scene is him winning a court case, as you say, which was which was um, which was alleging corruption, but he gets acquitted seemingly due to a technicality. So it's clearly like he's a dodgy geezer. That's absolutely clear, and his main advice a player by Indicastica, the two of them are completely um clearly unreliable and amoral etc as you say you've got helen mccrory as the prime minister with a quite a felt quite a lot of thatcher going on <laughs> in her performance mm. but in a great way i just say having a fucking whale of i love helen mccrory in absolutely everything she does and she <laughs> sinks her teeth into every character she plays and she's loving this um like just brilliant kind of just uh, playing a, a woman who clearly is loving the power and and that kind of comes through in every scene she's in. The scenes between her and Hugh Laurie's character I thought were great. And then there's this whole kind of um, story that they unearth. I don't think I think this is the premise. They unearth a secret in his life, shall we say, to do with um, women in prison. And there's a whole prison riot thing going on. And there's the and there's this Sarah Green's journalist, as you say, who's professionally it's a disaster for her. in the opening scene he gets acquitted in this crime, so that's not a spoiler. And it's her story that led to this trial, exposing allegations of corruption, and that's affecting her professional life because she then is, is presumed to be the result of the fact that the paper she works for is going to pay him about a million and a half quid to it. So it's got all these strands, these interesting strands, and it's clearly trying to look at the world of politics and media and um, the different institutions, you know, the, the prison system, the penal system, the criminal justice system. It's big. It's dealing with big, big stuff that David Hare, as I say, the reason I mentioned David Hare and Polikov, they love dealing in big, huge, important people, prime ministers, politicians, you know, the, that's, that's the kind of world they're, 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 they're playing in. And you know what? I, I did enjoy it. And I, I, I think the cast is the, is the thing that I thought I loved most about it. I, you know, watch these people do anything. But I, I did keep thinking at the same time, this doesn't quite, it's slightly lacking in the kind of drive and authenticity of succession. And I think like something like succession, which is also dealing in these worlds, particularly more media than politics, obviously, but there is a lot of politics in succession. And of course, in everything that those people who did the thick of it and all the stuff they've worked on before, that gang of people, if you like. It, I felt like this has a quite stately BBC drama tone to it. Even with the prison riot scene, which is very well done, and I kind of did thought, oh, they, they, you know, they're, they're... but in the scenes where, you know, it's people talking to each other in rooms, I felt it had a kind of a slightly, not slow so much as a deliberate pace. There's a jazz score, like a, a slightly odd jazzy kind of laid back score to it rather than, you know, ratcheting up tension, almost like making it less tense. I didn't quite know what that decision was about, the, the, the score. I thought that was interesting, which is playing all the way through, by the way. And it's got like a wryly comedic tone sometimes. But when you watch something like Succession, which is so brilliantly frenetic and real, and it's got that kind of instant documentary quality to it, I felt like this needed something like that. It needed a bit of an energy boost somehow. That's what it was missing. But having said that, I do really want to know how it all plays out. And I fucking love Helen McCrory as this Prime Minister. I was quite underwhelmed, I have to say. And I was really excited about this. Um, big, both from a filmmaking and a crew, um, sorry, a cast perspective, it's pretty much, you know, the best of the best, especially when it comes to political thrillers. And I think to Boyd's point, it's the the there were so many little elements going on that it felt like it lacked focus. So it kind of, you know, 
drifts through in this in this quite slow pace. And as you say, the score totally threw me, mm. like totally, totally threw me. I was really confused and I thought I had another browser open that was playing jazz <laughs> and I had to check I wasn't playing jazz yeah. over the top of this. Um, Helen McCrory is by far the best thing in this. I just think she is remarkable. She gives absolutely everything. But I, I did... That lack of focus around one really compelling um, plot point that they delve into, I found frustrating. And so I, I kind of just went through the hour or whatever, kind of following it, not that compelled to keep watching. The pacing of it was a bit slow um, for my liking. And I th- do you know what else I think the challenge is? I think it is the other shows out there, but mm. I think also it's the reality we're living in, right? Yeah. We are living in the most bonkers time from both a political and a media perspective you know we're recording this on friday it was just announced that boris johnson has appointed allegra stratton to be his press secretary um you know she used to work for the bbc she's married to the political editor of the spectator which is also where dominic cummings wife works i mean the whole web that exists in our actual reality and some of the things that have gone on you know with with boris johnson but that government entirely Something about this then felt weirdly underplayed um, because, and I know that's always a difficulty when you have a volatile or quite controversial set of politicians in power, That what that does to actually the, the realities you show on screen. But I don't know if that also took some of the wind out of it for me because it didn't feel that kind of, I don't know, just didn't have the dramatic propulsion that I was mm. after that would kind of pull me along. And I wasn't that kind of invested in the main story so i was i have to say i i did feel underwhelmed by this and quite frustrated which i feel sad i do about. know what you mean but then it's the same thing isn't it like the trump administration essentially killed house of cards and veep because it's just it was no longer fun mm. to watch that anymore and i think we live in a weird time that said i really enjoyed this um i like i'm i i really like david Hare. i really much i enjoyed collateral i know not everyone did but i i think you know i've said this before you, you, there are far too few tv detectives who are also competitive pole vaulters uh but uh but yeah i i, I hugh laurie enormously watchable i'm a huge fan of sarah green i'm a huge fan of all characters who have the name charmian pepper but um you know i i i we only saw one of these. It's a four-part series, and we only—they've only made the first episode available. So yes. I think, like, the actual story is hinted at at this point, but I don't think we've really got into the meat of what's going to happen here. Um, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm very much hoping that it's going to be as over the top as I suspect it's going to be. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how this plays out. But don't you think? Don't you think, James? We should have had more of that in episode one. That's what yeah. I found frustrating. Yeah. These little hints and these little things about what it, and you're working out, and I think we all probably know what it might be, but I found it frustrating that they didn't just commit, especially when it's what, four yeah. parts? Yeah, you would think that they would have front-loaded it a bit like, more, sure, yeah. Because uh, yeah. it, it is in that, but I mean, there are moments of lunacy in it. Like, like one, he gets a a, a call from someone who might have something on him. He's in a prison, and he rocks up at the prison. Who does that? Why would you turn up in person yeah. at the yeah. prison yeah. to talk hilarious. to this inmate? Like you. Clearly yeah. wouldn't, but it was a lot of fun. And he's very, you know, sort of sneery, kind of hateful character, especially because, you know, the discrepancy between his public image and obviously the way he comports himself in private and just little moments like when his, uh, he's like moaning that he has to get a cab because his uh, Westminster mm. appointed driver can only pick him up when he's on work business. And then there's that wonderful aside where she kind of looks and goes, um, uh, t- 
tomorrow where where am i picking you up from in the morning and it's just like it's, i thought it's just a little line just to drop in there to show that he's actually a massive twat but yeah it's it's great hugh laurie's great i i don't know why i was aware watching this that this was not the highest quality thing i'd ever seen and yet and yeah i'm 100 percent gonna watch all four parts of this and i was really I was, mortified I, well. I couldn't get I, the second part i really wanted yeah, to watch more i agree with that i, I i'm the same mm. as well i think it planted enough yeah seeds and i think that was the problem really it was planting a lot of seeds wasn't it, it was introducing <laughs> yeah. us to a lot yeah. of different and just about weaving some of them together like i, I actually thought there are a couple of moments that what did rug pull moments that i thought were really mm. clever and that and i think it had enough to make me want to carry on watching it 100 percent. but it's just i wish i don't know i felt like if it had i do i think it had if it had more energy to it then it mm. would be it could have been absolutely brilliant it, maybe it will, and as you're right i think it will go more and more over the top because he loves he does love his you know kind of stretching credulity as they say and so i'm, I'm here for that yeah. and i'm here for but i i think I, I know what terry means i think that first episode was not just not quite as good as you wanted it to be and the fucking score it is mystifying <laughs> it's, it's, it's score. just mystifying it's so weird do you not find no, that there's something know. quite I, like comforting about knowing that there's only four episodes like if this was the first episode of an ongoing yeah. series you'd be like do you know what life's too fucking short but the fact that it's only four episodes you think you know what a nice little self-contained trashy thing I can totally sit down and sink into this yeah. but it's not but hang on but hang on it's not meant to be a trashy thing and no, that's what's not. bothering oh, yeah, me no. it's meant it's David Hare yes. right it's meant to be prestige and oh, quality absolutely. and like and it's all about rhythm and pacing and ratchet. I want all of that. That's what I want. I don't want it to be what you want it to be. I refer you to what you've been watching this week, Terry, and call you out for a liar. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but it's a really maybe. good point. No, it's such a good yeah. point because I think that's the thing. I think that the BBC feels, that's why I mentioned Polyakov as well, because he does the same thing. It's like he has these incredibly prestigious, brilliantly cast, stately stories dealing with big issues and you know high stakes but actually when you get down to the nitty-gritty of it they often have completely ridiculous storylines and plots that you know you could barely get away with in a so-called more trashy environment it is like people are dazzled i think by oh david Hare, you know blah, 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 it's going to be really but actually it is it is quite when well, comically unbelievable at various junctures and almost that what that is what adds to the fun of it but I think he thinks this is all, I'm absolutely addressing the reality yeah. of politics and media in 2020. And it's, you know, I, I, I th also, but I mean, James adds a brilliant point about that prison scene. That prison scene, I was like, is this meant to be in any way real? What he just rocks up with one advisor to a, pri a public prison, by the way, and yeah. has a conversation. Then he seems surprised that his advisor had had a prep call with the person <laughs> in the prison, who, who, by the way, had just rung up and demanded to see him. I mean, isn't yeah. there a way that people from prison can usually not get through directly? To, to I cabinet mean, you know, ministers. I, I, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I was like, I, I don't mean to be, you know, the reality sponge, <laughs> but... <laughs> There's a similar moment later, it? though, when when the lawyer gets a call, yeah. isn't it, about from someone? She's like, "Oh yeah, I'm definitely going to completely go along with this storyline, even though it's just a completely random call." <laughs> stuff, you know. Oh, there's loads of that. There's loads of that. Yeah, it's it's. I was like, "Can I ring Teresa Coffee <laughs> yeah. and just demand to go round and meet her at McDonald's? Is that all right? Like, because I've got something to say to her. Like, is that all right? Does that? That's hundred percent how it works. Yes. Uh, well, I will be watching the rest of this. I will. I, Boyd and I will report back to you, Terry, and tell you. If it suddenly turns into, you know, Proust in the second half. <laughs> it won't. I want Proust. I want Proust. Uh, that is, of course, Roadkill, which airs on BBC One starting Sunday, October the 18th at 9pm. 
finally, this week we have season two of Warrior. Now, this is created by Banshee's Jonathan Tropper and is based on an original idea by Bruce Lee. It is a gloriously violent recreation of the Tong Wars in 1870s San Francisco, and we absolutely loved the first season of this for all the blood, swearing, and nudity, which are, I believe, the core values of Cinemax, the HBO <laughs> sub-brand from which this series hails, but not for much longer. For Warrior Season 2 is not only the final season of Warrior, it is also the final Cinemax original show, which is an absolute tragedy. Um, so since the launch of HBO Max, the, the sort of cable network decided there wasn't really any need for this kind of unspeakably awesome programming uh, and warrior season two will be the curtain call on that whole brand without which i should point out there would be no banshee which historians all agree is objectively the greatest single expression of art in human history but i digress because there is punting to talk about and who better to kick that off than terry white <laughs> So, I mean, that kind of makes a bit more sense if this is a kind of closing uh, closing offering because fuck me, they go for it <laughs> in this show. And I was trying to, I do, I remembered loving the first season. I didn't make it all the way through to the end. Um, I can't, I don't know if you did, Absolutely. James. Did you? Did I, you I watched Boyd? all of no. them before we even reviewed no. it. <laughs> Boyd's, like, no. Boyd's like, no. Um, and I, what I remember is obviously we loved it. And I, was, I went back and I watched, um, one of season one, just to remind me, because the thing is, it, you cannot you cannot watch the second season without knowing something about the first season. No. They do not make this easy for you at Even all. Even I had to look some stuff up because I, I, like, I can't remember who you are. Yes. <laughs> Google, there was a lot of me mm. and Google happening mm. uh, during watching this. And what we loved, I think, um, is the mix of the kind of the hard-boiled drama, but the I mean, to call it ambitious action is something else, which you might expect. Um, so showrunner Jonathan Tropper, who James has already mentioned, did Banshee, but also excitingly wrote three episodes yes. of C, which I, I, I presume <laughs> makes him even more your person. Um, and as you say, it's uh, set during the Tong Wars of Chinatown in San Francisco in the late 19th century. Season two, from what I could tell from episode one, um, is following these rival tongs as they fight for dominance. Um, and it kind of in the background is this um, pretty awful and very kind of realistically rendered anti-Chinese racism. Um, and what we see is Andrew Koju plays awesome, slightly different character this time the stuff with his sister is is laid to rest and i think what that means is he's got a little bit more attitude and by attitude i mean violence mm. so this opens on a kind of remarkable fight scene and there are several pretty incredible set pieces just during the first episode and i we must credit fight choreographer brett chan who fuck me like the amount when i was thinking about the amount of choreography just in one episode of this show, which was at the level of which you'd see at the kind of best film. I just think he does such a remarkable job. And this is, if you loved Warrior Season 1, this is bigger, this is bolder, this is bloodier. I found, I don't know about you two, but I found some of this pretty hard to watch. There was one scene in particular that I had to turn it off and steady myself and turn it back on because the violence is really extreme, incredibly graphic. Um, and there was one scene in particular that I found, I if I had have been watching this not for work, I wouldn't have carried on watching it because I found it too brutal and too violent. 
But no, it's funny, like this, with the thing with like something like Gangs of London, which is excruciatingly graphic, like this feels like all Cinemax stuff. It's very, very violent. And sometimes you'd like winch, like, ooh, that's nasty. But there's an element of almost sort of like caricatured cartooniness to the violence that doesn't make I it stick with me. I that, you know, like that, that, so, so some of the stuff I don't mind in film, say in, um, in Tarantino films, right, is, is it's this got this kind of graphic ne- novel nature to it, which means it feels like it's mm, almost comic yeah, book, and so I can, I can cope with it. So stylized, yeah. So the whole, the whole, pretty much everything in Kill Bill and Kill Bill Two, it's so stylized, and it moves between animation, and it softens it for me enough to where I feel able to watch it. This just felt for me not like that. It felt really graphic in a way that I found difficult to watch. Not some of the kind of more hand-to-hand combat, but there's one scene in particular, which I won't ruin for anybody, um, but I found that almost in, impossible to watch. And um, that made it quite difficult, I think, to get through because there is uber, uber, <laughs> uber, uber <laughs> uh, violent and it's incredibly sophisticated. It's done incredibly well. What I and what I would say again is if you did not watch season one, and even if you did watch season one, you might want to mm. refresh yourself because there are new characters, there are new storylines, there are old characters with completely new arcs, and it is there is a lot. It is <laughs> a lot. There is a fuck of a lot going on and it's quite hard to keep track of. But what I can't argue with is just how fucking spectacularly this is how spectacularly this is done and executed. Yeah. Uh, no, I I agree with you. I mean, I I like this a lot. I I certainly don't. Uh, I don't find the the violence in this too much myself. Like it doesn't it, it doesn't hit me in that way. I it, it feels it just fits in that Cinemax box for me, like Banshee, where it, yes, lots of punching violence bones breaking limbs cut off like you know it is just like that but it feels very pulpy to me so it never sort of like traumatizes me uh in the way that it's funny isn't it how like like the the, the, these different things affect us because like shows that will traumatize me don't affect you in the slightest and vice versa but um i think andrew koji is really really good in this but i love hoon lee like hoon lee who plays chow in this and he was my favorite character in banshee and he is so fucking good uh and i have so much fun with this and i think it is partly because it's classic cinemax like it is punching and violence and intricately choreographed fight sequences and visits to brothels like it is exactly what it is like it's really really pulpy but it also has some interesting things to say in this season as the first one about the immigrant experience and the way it talks about the chinese treatment and the way the irish immigrants in there how they sort of like interact with the chinese and how they sort of a war between the working classes for you know cheap labor you know that the Mm. irish uh manual workers are being edged out by the chinese who they can afford to pay less and so then the irish don't like it and there's a big fight and then you've got the yeah. you know the the local politicians who are frankly anti-irish and anti-chinese but maybe less anti-irish than they are anti-chinese and it's just it's it's interesting watching that melting pot and how it all kind of fits together but i mean let's not pretend this is the wire do you know what i mean like this is not aimed at you know <laughs> this is not multi-layered social commentary this is lots of people punching each other and hacking themselves up with swords you got the hot way you got the fung high you got all the different uh you know all the different tongs and they're really really sort of like um you know archetype like the fung hire the kind of animalistic mongol tong and then you've got the hot way and they all dress in like swish suits with little red hankies sticking out of their pockets like i mean it's pretty daft but it's also just glorious and i and i remember watching every episode of season one before we reviewed it because i just couldn't stop i've watched the first three of this and yeah i mean i love it i think it's great it's a shame that it's ending actually with this season i could watch this forever um i just find it endlessly entertaining as i did banshee but uh i, I will i will miss i will miss 
I will miss Cinemax. Did you follow it though, Jack? Did you follow oh, yeah. everything, or did you not mind? No, I, that I you followed couldn't? everything that was going do you on. Know what I mean? But I, but what I had to do, like I started watching the first episode, and then I stopped about fifteen minutes in, quickly went back to Wikipedia and read through the episode summaries of the last few of season one because it'd been quite a while since I'd seen them, and it makes no effort to remind you who anyone is. And I'm like, okay, I don't know who you yeah. are, and I have no clue who you are, and you, I remember your face, but I don't know how you fit into the story. And then you're like, oh, okay, fine, like, okay, yeah you're the drug addict policeman and okay yeah you're in hock to the fung high but you're a policeman but now you're a debt collector okay i know who you are yeah. you're the politician oh, right, that's right you're his wife but you're also a business owner because your father died at the end of last episode like yeah you it all falls into place and i think once you remember once you're refreshed on who everyone is yeah i think it's it's then quite easy to follow because you've just got the threads of the intertong politics and you know young jun and father jun and how they're wrestling for power and then you've got the, you know the political strata and the irish strata. there's a few different camps you just need to remember who all the players are but it's uh it's it's good it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun boy do you do you enjoy it yeah i think there will be a recap i think i think um i was amazed there wasn't a yeah, full uh, recap at the start of this episode <laughs> yeah yeah so, but i think i think that's i think for some reason hbo when we get to see the screens of these shows don't put i think i bet there mm. will be when it goes out goes when it's transmitted on sky uh, one i'm sure there'll be a full recap at the beginning because it is if you don't try and remind yourself of the intricacies <laughs> of the gangs and the police etc it is really confusing but i so but i did the same thing as you i went back i i read up pretty solidly on wikipedia um about it so i was i kind of got most of it and it's just it's for me it's like the opposite almost of of roadkill the so roadkill is like you know aiming really high and it feels like it's it's too st- a bit too stately for its own good, and isn't quite you know isn't quite kind of in, it, it's aiming high in terms of the script and the and the ideas, but actually it, it I don't feel everyone's working at the top of their game in terms of the, the production of it. This is like you know pulp as you say, but it's everyone's like working at the very peak, like the direction and the production design and the editing and the and the and the um, effects are absolutely incredible for a show that as you say is is is, is pulp. It is literally pulpy stuff and um i think that's incredible there's a shot like towards the end where it like swoop the camera swoops over the whole the whole city mm. the whole area and then dives into a boxing match i thought it was like incredible stuff so it's like it feels like the level of ambition of the filmmaking for this subject matter mm. almost that's what i love about it. i'm like they, they've gone totally they've gone for it totally mm. which does makes me wonder whether that's partly why it's not, not going to carry on because it's so ambitious you know, for for the for the subject that I, I wonder, it must it looks it looks and feels very expensive. It does, yeah, um, yeah, uh, which is great. But I really really enjoy it. It is a bit like Peaky Blinders in nineteenth century <laughs> yeah, San Francisco, it is. isn't it? It's got like a lot of Peaky going on, and in a good way. But like you know, the things that it has in common with Peaky Blinders are partly what makes it so good. But I think it's really it's really cleverly done, and you kind of and and. It, for things like the brothel, half of it is set in that oh, fucking yeah. brothel, but they somehow, in, 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 you know, if this had been five years ago, it would have had the standard, you know, images of women of states of undress in the background wandering around, you know what I mean, like gratuitously, but they somehow avoid mm. that. And it's a very like it's somehow like you know an evenly distributed brothel where there's like blokes yeah, hanging out. It's true. Right? It's true. Um, uh, so just uh, just detail like that, I think, is what makes it. It's really, really well done. Yeah, and I think the cast is brilliant. I think you know it's got great, great, 
British character actors in it, um, and Irish character actors. So yeah, I think it's really really yeah, good. It is. A, it's a very good show. I'm I'm absolutely going to press on with this one. It can be said. Uh, Warrior season two begins on Sky One on Wednesday, October the fourteenth at ten p.m. And I will just do a slight side digression here because obviously uh, Warrior is made by Jonathan Tropper, who also made Banshee, and Banshee stars Anthony Starr, and Anthony Starr is in The Boys, and that takes me on to The Boys. So The Boys, you will recall, is airing week by week. What is that? I'm making connective tissue because I wanted to say something, which is that the boys is week by week. You know, instead of dropping it all in one go, as has become the orthodoxy of your streaming platforms, they have stretched this out and fuck them for doing it because it's deeply, deeply irritating. And they've had lots of backlash about it. But they're doing the same thing. And I didn't mention this earlier. Amazon are doing the same thing with the expanse. So the expanse season five is not dropping all at once. They're doing it episode by episode, week by week. And I kind of get it. Like if you don't have that many originals, maybe you want to kind of stretch them out a bit. But I do feel like there's been a massive shift in the way we consume television. That where, like, I w- I'm almost offended. Like, like, what, it, what, what manner of madness is this that you're going to show us one episode a week? Give me all the episodes. Give them to me now. I want to binge them. And I realised when they announced the suspense thing, I was so upset by it that I realised that it's fundamentally changed the way now I expect to consume television. Like, I want to be able to see all of it at once. All in one go, instant gratification, because it's a more enjoyable yeah, you're a way. spoiled brat. Look, <laughs> think, yeah. think about it. Game of Thrones was fucking weekly. We cope with that for, like, what, like six years. You know, some of the best drama out there is weekly serial and i and i think a lot of i think it has to stay that way i think a lot of it i I think no i think people are spoiled by having everything delivered in one go i think it's good that there are and actually you're right it increasingly seems like amazon i mean disney plus is doing the same because i think the right stuff is like two or three episodes initially then weekly mandalorian's weekly isn't it um you know i think i think um the other streamers are looking at the netflix example and going actually it doesn't necessarily make sense for us to do that have enough shows well, partly, um, yeah, partly. But I think also think you know it, make, it can make for a more enjoyable um, viewing experience can as it well. <laughs> well, I, I, yes. but it can. I often feel like I watch something all in one go, and I feel like I've eaten a Domino's pizza, and I feel upset with myself, <laughs> and I feel guilty, yeah. and I feel a bit dirty. Yeah. And the thing is, it's like. Some and also, what about filmmaker intent? Yeah. Like the reality is that some people, like Michaela Cole, the way she insisted, the way that was dropped in parts, because you know there is a rhythm to series, and there is that's what makes totally different to film rather than just going to put it all on one go and you can watch it in eight hours. Some people don't want their storytelling done like that, and I think Boyd is right. I mean, you are I, a spoiled I, that's wreck. absolutely true. But I, I just think that there is a pleasure to be had from being able to say, "Put this show." in my face now like the like like the laser like getting your big you know eight topping stuffed crust domino pizza and shoving the entire thing down your pie hole in less than five minutes there's a there's a particular joy to be had from that and it's the same with binge watching tv yeah, but but you're gonna vomit afterwards yeah. and probably yeah. have the shit like normal people normal people is a point right i watched after we reviewed the first couple of episodes and I they dropped them all on BBC and I watched them all in iPlayer in one day and I was so upset with myself afterwards because I wish mm. I would have spaced that pleasure out instead of gorging on it and then being bereft because it was gone. 
And I never didn't give myself a breathing point between the episodes. I just felt everything at once. And, you know, there, there were a very definite emotional arc with normal people. And I felt it all within the space of a day, which meant I was totally overstimulated. But, yeah, but, no, know, but I agree that... with you. I think it was a mistake with normal people, actually. And I think the BBC yeah. is now very confused. Um, I mean, we slugged off Netflix a lot recently, but I think the BBC is very confused about what should and shouldn't be all put out in one go. Like, you know, they... they Michaela Cole didn't want to do it with I May Destroy You. A lot of their dramas, Us, I think they've put out in one go. I don't think that's helping that show. I think that show should have been a weekly treat and works much better yeah. in that way. Think treat. of Line of Duty. There's no fucking way. Oh There's my God. no way that Line of Duty would be anywhere near the phenomenon it is if that had been a, a gorgeous one go thing. It's a weekly event that we all watch. The communal excitement of the of the bombshell moments in that series would never have happened if everyone's could watch the whole thing in one go it's so i think you know yeah it's, and i think pe the people who run these channels have to remind themselves sometimes that it's not the best way necessarily to have it all on just because of what netflix is doing i think the bbc looks at netflix and goes oh we have to be like netflix because everyone all the kids that you know are abandoning us but you know i'm sorry sometimes adults want something you know not, well, not you adults are welcome to your week by week series Thanks. me and the kids however we want it all now so. yeah yeah <laughs> but james serious question would you watch line of duty oh, fuck in yes. one go i would sit down and watch every episode What's back to back of course i would <laughs> but but well, how could you? That would be that would be no, a mistake. Yeah. Do you not what think what that would be, that Terry, would be is the best Thursday night of the year? Is what oh my it would God. be. Yeah. <laughs> I would sit down. It would all go into my eyes, and I would go to bed feeling slightly sick but very happy. <laughs> Oh, can I also just point out that Line of Duty cast are on TikTok and it's I the greatest thing ever. Like no one's watching. Yeah. Vicky McGuire posted it earlier <laughs> yeah. today, and it is glorious. Amazing, yes. amazing. Right, let's get back onto Target. So what else is out this week? Um, Fear the Walking <laughs> Dead uh, drops tonight, uh, Monday, October the 12th at 9pm. That's the new season of Fear the Walking Dead. I have not watched it yet. I still haven't finished the previous one, and I'm not in any particular rush to, but I will at some point. Uh, what else is coming? Ah, yes, the big news this week, the show of the week, we should mention, the show of the week, which we've not been able to see, of course, is Star Trek Discovery, which lands on Netflix on Friday. Weekly. Weekly, motherfuckers. Yes, weekly. <laughs> bastards so that lands this week we would love to have talked about this week in fact i would have dedicated this entire podcast to it given half the chance but unfortunately the embargo is right up against the air date so we will be able to talk about that for you next week uh what else is happening riviera is back on october the 15th at 9 p.m on sky atlantic uh what else is happening boyd tell me um there's some slightly non uh dramary things like which i should mention though because so um tonight if you're listening to this on monday um jodie whittaker's who do you who who do you think you are is on bbc one you know the, have you ever seen that um James? no it, it, that is? is it like this is your life <laughs> <laughs> i mean kind of <laughs> kind of, but with like right. genealogy, yeah. family trees. Yeah. yeah. Is um, that the thing yeah. where we found but out that like Danny Dyer was related to Genghis Khan or something? Yes, exactly. Right. Woo! <laughs> yes, pop culture. You, you got it. Yeah. Um, we should mention Taskmaster, which is I know a lot of people love Taskmaster. That Channel Four nabbed Taskmaster from Dave, the whole format, and that arrives on Thursday. And I think the main reason to watch it, I have to say, is that Daisy May Cooper is in it. So that is like five funny people doing ridiculous tasks. Daisy May Cooper, Johnny Vegas, Catherine Parker. Parkinson, Moan Rizwan, who's um, very good as well, um, and Richard Herring, and that people that people love that show, that format. But I think the fact that Daisy May Cooper's in it has elevated that already into something special. Portrait Artist of the Year, another classic show. Oh, yes. yes, 
back on Wednesday. Love that. Back on Wednesday. Was it back? Yeah. Oh. Absolutely. And Paul Meskell from um, Norway is going to be a sitter. Hang on. on. A sitter? Ooh. What are you talking about? What's a sitter? <laughs> Where you sit, <laughs> people sit for to be painted by amateur painters. Hang it's on, a brilliant hang show. On, hang it's on. Absolute... This is a TV Come show on. where you watch someone sit still yes. while someone paints them. Yes. Which I've spoken about several times I, on this I podcast. I have no recollection of no, that. Of course you don't. Of course you don't. Um, enslaved, Samuel L. Jackson's thing mm. about slavery started yesterday on BBC Two. That would be interesting. Oh, and Urban Myths has a really good episode this week on Wednesday. Joan Rivers meets Barbara Streisand when they were very young. And it's written by Sue Perkins. And Jessica Barden plays the 16-year-old Barbara Streisand. I think that's going to be interesting. Mm. There you go. And I think that might be about it. Okay. Excellent stuff. Yep. Pick of the week. Uh, oh, oh! Not not warrior. Warrior, warrior, except it's not because yeah. it's absolutely Star Trek Discovery, which we haven't seen. But that is definitely <laughs> the show of the week. Watch Star Trek Discovery on Friday. Also, watch every episode of Warrior because fabulous. Well, I think I would say technically Warrior, mm. but actually, if I was going to watch another one, it would be the right what? stuff. Wow, that's a surprise. I don't know. I, I don't and know. this week's like, wrong opinion goes to Terry White. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've, I'm like here for more of those wow. men's stories, but you know, I can't say I. I, I think Unless it's that one good, of the astronauts cuts one know. of the other one's hands off with a sword, I'm not interested. Clearly, yeah. right? Well. We are running wildly over this week, so if we are going to banshee, let's do it super, super, super quickly. Uh, who wants to go first? Me. So, Owen Banshee Fades, um, Jack Thorne created and written. <laughs> I have already have Banshee yeah, Fades. Oh, I thought I did it. Hang on, I did. You have. I you or you? It. Well, why is Boyd saying well, he's I... Banshee this? Oh, maybe. Also, maybe. we talked about yeah. it with Tom Ellis when he was on the podcast because he was in it. <laughs> I know you talked about it with Tom Ellis, but I didn't know we'd Banshee it. I have Banshee it. But do you know what? Do you know what? Well, do you know what? People have not necessarily listened to every single episode. They may not have listened to my Banshee fade. So I think, Terry, you go for it. You you go. Right. And we really should get that <laughs> spreadsheet. I've given you the link. Yeah. The spreadsheet is up to date. Our, our official chronicler keeps it up to date is every it? week. It's very exciting. Our poor, poor person who doesn't work for us and doesn't get paid and is just don't get us. <laughs> so I'm going to do something we've definitely not mentioned before, which is Fade. <laughs> One season, 2011, Jack Thorne created, Jack Thorne written, which in and of itself is a massive uh uh, reason to suggest watching this show other than we've already banshed it um, and I like this because it's a little bit like The Ghost Whisperer no, um, which I'm sure you all watch oh, which yeah. is the, yes it is, it's totally like the, Jennifer Love Hewitt Ghost Whisperer so um, <laughs> and this actually was really well received at the time won a BAFTA I think in 2012 after it got cancelled and it's set around uh, yeah after it got cancelled <laughs> So and it's set around a teenager um, who can basically well kind of see the dead but it's it's a bit more dramatic than that so there are things in the world called the fades fades are people who are dead who can't be seen smelt heard whatever by other human beings but they are stuck on earth because they can't ascend or presumably descend um, but they hate humans they can only be seen by angelics Paul, played by Ian DeCastecker, is a angelic. And basically, in a nutshell, he gets st stuck trying to stop the fades, completely destroying the human race. But what's amazing about this, apart from the fact that that is a fucking genius concept and definitely a bit like the Ghost Whisperer, because oh Melinda God. is trying to help the people stuck in, stuck on Earth who can't ascend. Anyway, that's a different banshee. Maybe I'll banshee that. Has the best kind yeah. of cast. When you look at it, it is fucking ridiculous. 
Joe Dempsey, Natalie Dormer, Dom Ellis, Johnny Harris, Daniel Kaluuya, Sophie Wu, Daniela Nardini, like absolutely kind of the best group of young British actors. Um, at the time, it is all on BBC iPlayer the whole season. And um, I say, bring back yeah, the Yeah, it's fates. amazing. And I will say, I binged all of this in one evening, as all TV shows should be. Uh, it was great. I loved it. Oh, God. Uh, Boyd, what have you got for us? What shows that I have already bansheed would you like to do? <laughs> It may oh god I didn't check the spreadsheet on this one I have to say um, I hosted the launch of the fades and it was a fantastic uh, thing let me say that um, I'm doing well I, I was I was reminded of this by the fact that Tom Weston Jones who is in Warrior as as the cop the kind of pretty decent cop who doesn't who want, doesn't want to be as racist as the rest of his uh, tribe it was in Dickensian have we done Dickensian I don't, don't think, think so. we have done Dickensian Dickensian lasted for one series of twenty episodes and was an incredibly bold brave attempt by Tony Jordan co creator of EastEnders to do essentially a pre watershed soap opera. Mingling all Dickens characters and novels into one spectacular thing, and among the writers, Sarah Phelps wrote lots of episodes. It's got the Phelpsy um, thing going on. Uh, Harry Bradbeer of 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 uh, Fleabag fame directed quite a lot of it, and the cast is pretty incredible. Peter Firth, uh, Tuppence Middleton, uh, Thomas and Jones, as I mentioned, and it's just it kind of. It, it it somehow connected all these different um, Dickens things into one fascinating mix. It was a bit too ambitious, I think, because forever, forever to work, particularly to make it pre-Watershed half-hour episodes running like, I think it ran two or three times a week even. It was also really b- badly scheduled around Christmas by the BBC, so you didn't really know when it was going to be on. But it, I, I, I really enjoyed it. It was really interesting. It had a kind of darkness and a, and a weirdness to it that you wouldn't necessarily expect from such a kind of, you know, mainstream time slot and channel um, and for an idea. Uh, and it was really interesting. And it's on, I think it's on Amazon Prime and iTunes and things, but I think you have to pay for it. Apologies for that, but it's really interesting. Okay. I will very, very quickly do mine, which is Burn Notice, which I've been asked to do before. This is a seven season show that started in 2007. Uh, Max, Matt Nix created this, um, starred Jeffrey Donovan, Gabrielle Anwar, and the one and only Bruce Campbell. Uh, and it starred Donovan as a kind of a, a former CIA notice who'd been burned by the agency and was confined to Miami where he had to work as an unlicensed private detective and there's you have the procedural element of him doing the sort of weekly cases and then the ongoing arc of him trying to find out who burned him at the agency the reason this kind of works is because the characters are kind of flawed but funny it's irreverent it's smartly written it has a slightly weird voiceover uh, which is done as a kind of almost informational video but it's a lot more fun than I thought it would be I didn't actually stick it out through all seven seasons because my tolerance for procedurals is quite low uh, but it's pretty cool and there is a prequel movie as well but we are now running hopelessly over time so watch burn notice or don't it's up to you but we're done (laughs) (laughs) that's a recommendation for this episode of the pilot tv podcast if you enjoyed it then according to the government's rule of six you are legally obligated to head over to apple Podcasts (laughs) and give us a six star rating or as close to that (laughs) as you can get it is also unspeakably rude not to be following us on both twitter and instagram at jamesc Dyer at Terry underscore White and add Boyd Hilton, although he has too many followers already. Uh, we'll be back next week with more shows, of course, but what they are doesn't really matter because you need to get your ass to Netflix right this minute and fire up Cobra Kai. Strike first, strike hard, no mercy, pilot out. Mm-hmm.